This is the Edumatch Podcast Network, bringing you amazing educators sharing their love of learning one show at a time. The Edumatch Podcast Network is proud to support this show and many others. Find out more at edumatchpn.com. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of the individual podcaster. Welcome to the Undercaffeinated Podcast, a weekly podcast for educators who don't have time to listen to a podcast, kind of like us. Each week we'll cover a different topic in education in just about five to ten minutes. Our goal is to share bite-sized chunks of professional development so you can join us, whether you're driving your kids around, preparing dinner, making copies during prep, or really doing just about anything. This is PD for real teachers who are real tired, coming to you from Nevada, Colorado, and Florida. Welcome to another episode of Undercaffeinated Podcast. Today, my guest is Maureen Hayes, who I met in the four o'clock uh, faculty PLN Voxer group. So welcome, Maureen. How are you doing? Hey, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Um, before we get too in-depth, which, you know, by the way, this is take two, and I did, I jumped in and I got real in-depth real fast. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you please give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. So again, my name is Maureen Hayes. Um, I have been in education. This is my 27th year. Ooh, um, I, thanks. Yeah. So I started as a first grade teacher and then I became a looping teacher. So I taught um, a first second grade loop where I started with first grade kids and, and went with them to second grade. And then when they went on to third grade, I would go back to first grade. So I did that for several years as well. And after 12 years in the classroom, I went to a new district as the um, academic support instructor, so the reading specialist in one of the buildings. And after a couple of years of doing that, I got into my current role, which I've been in about, I keep losing track, I think, gosh, almost 13 years now, 12 or 13 years. And that is um, as the district supervisor, elementary of language arts, social studies, world languages, and library systems or librarians. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that is quite the umbrella. I did not yeah, realize. Well, most supervisors do have quite a big umbrella. A lot of, a lot of like the STEM supervisor I work with also has art. So there's all those little, little departments that kind of sneak in there too. <laughs> those sneaky departments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I really um, appreciate about having you in the four, you know, and I'm newer to the four o'clock faculty group, but one of the things, things I really appreciate appreciate about you is you offer that very unique central office perspective in that you are overseeing multiple buildings, multiple administrators, and you also see multiple teachers. Um, So you have that ability to look even more global than like a building administrator who's looking at just their building, um, which is obviously bigger than just like the teacher's like individual classroom. Um, Yeah, sure. Um, I, I work throughout, well, five elementary buildings, but then my library supervision scans, uh, spans K to 12. So that's actually seven oh. buildings across the district. Um, but we, I do, and the other supervisors, we work collaboratively with the principals to just support them because, you know, all principals, of course, you know, want to be instructional leaders. And that's one of the reasons they get into that role. Right. Um, but it's hard to, to balance all those balls in the air. So we're there to kind of lend a hand and support them instructionally. 
That is, that's fantastic. Is this, is your role like a standard role in most districts? In New Jersey, yes. I can definitely speak for New Jersey. They're all, all districts have supervisors. Okay. Curriculum supervisors, yeah. Gotcha. I, be, I am in Florida, obviously, but my experience is in Las Vegas. So that district, it's just so big that there were levels upon levels upon levels of mm -hmm. people. And I'm just like, I don't know if there were those in Vegas. No. <laughs> so I was just kind of curious. Um, so you said that you were a first grade teacher. Yes. Which is fantastic. Um, it's my favorite grade to teach. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. They, they, they come so far in such a little amount of time. It's just, it's just a rewarding grade to teach. I com I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Um, so when kind of talking to you about some of the things that you wanted to talk to you, you sent me this article that you had written called best mm -hmm. practices for our littles. So when you're, uh, I'm going to ask you to get a little bit in depth in, in that article and, and talk, talk to us, speak to that. But um, were you looking at that through the lens of as a first grade teacher, or were you looking at that from your current lens for like kindergarten or K-1 or just the primary grades, like where were you coming from when you wrote that? I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely draw my experience as a classroom teacher, but I think just from being in the four o'clock faculty and the kindergarten teachers who were in there, who I you know mm -hmm. we, we communicate with daily and hearing from across the country, how, how much the demands, I mean, across, I mean, all districts at this point, the, the curriculum demands are going down and being crunched down to earlier and earlier grade levels. And I've always, always, that's always been something that's I've been very passionate about because I definitely disagree with that. Um, <laughs> but the kindergarten teachers, you know, a lot of the people in our group have talked about things like, oh, we have to hide the blocks or, oh, I'm going to be spending the whole month, you know, giving the DRA to all my kids. And if they're not at a certain level, you know, they, then I need to refer them for support. And I'm like, they're five. Why do they have to be reading in the mid first grade level? Right. So that's kind of spawned it. And then just even talking to um, the kindergarten teachers in my own district and having those conversations with them about what's developmentally appropriate. And they're, they're right on board with it, but just continuing to support them. And you know, every once in a while, I'll just send them a, you know, an article that I'll come across about play and the importance of play. And I'll just be like, I will always support you with for play in the classroom. And again, just having a developmentally appropriate kindergarten classroom. Right. So what, um, what are some of the, what are some of the bullet points? Obviously play, um, imaginative play, that sort of thing. Um, what are some of the other like big bulleted points in this article that are those best practices for littles that were, were some, for some reason getting away from it? Yeah. Um, you know, kindergarten is such a crucial age for kids and that's, that's such a crucial time and they go through they make such great intellectual leaps and there's mm -hmm. such major shifts going on from them um you know socially behaviorally cognitively and the growth that they take during that time and the experiences they have will affect them um you know throughout the course of their education and also you know just their, their lifelong learning and who they become and i go back a lot to a couple different sources and the, the one book that's always been my favorite that I've been using since I was a classroom teacher is um, Chip Wood's Yardsticks. Mm. Because in that book, he talks about for every age, you know, what that child is like socially, what that child is like physically, cognitively, and what we should expect. Mm 
Um, even when I was in the classroom, sometimes you'll have a first grader who comes in very academically advanced. And the parent will often push for like more academics. You know, I want my kid to keep succeeding and striving and you're not giving him hard enough work. And I would often refer them to that book or, you know, just share a page with, okay, academically, they may be at this level, but we have to look at the whole child right. and we need to make sure that they are developing also socially, cognitively, physically, that every part of that is important. Right. So looking at that whole child, looking at don't worry about them plateauing academically mm -hmm. if we're not supporting all of the other aspects. Yes, got it, exactly. got it. Okay. Um, so this article that you wrote, you said that it was for NJPSA. Yes. Can you tell me what that is? <laughs> that is the New Jersey uh, Principals and Supervisors Association. So it's essentially our state union um, for administrators that's separate from the teachers union. So every spring, um, among lots of great professional development opportunities that they offer mm -hmm. membership throughout the year, they also um, publish NJPSA viewpoints, which are articles for submission by members, uh, you know, by administrators across the state of New Jersey. Okay. Last year, I had an article published about um, ACEs trauma and toxic stress in our children. So the one I submitted this year, which I haven't heard back yet if it's going to be published, is, again, is the importance of those developmentally appropriate practices for our littles. Gotcha. Well, congratulations on already being published. And to, Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, it was a fantastic article, even if it's not published, like it, it needs to be shared because um, it was absolutely, it was fascinating to me. Thank um, you. And I think... I think, it, well, you know, who am I? But if I had any decision-making weight, uh, I would have it published because here's the reality, right? Like it goes out to who does this, uh, you know, periodical, who does it go out to? Who sees it? Is it people who make decisions and can put some of these changes into place? Yes, absolutely. It would go out to other supervisors, curriculum specialists across the state, as well as principals. Yes. Okay. So yeah, see that, and that's, those are the kind of conversations amongst a number of other conversations <laughs> that need to be had yeah. to make some really good changes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back like for me, right. I remember kindergarten. I don't remember all of kindergarten because I was five, actually I was four, but right. You still remember like those bits and pieces mm -hmm. and there was, it, first off, it was half a day and yeah. there was nap time and, you know, there was, I swear, I remember like a bubble gum, gum blowing contest. Like my teacher <laughs> was giving a four and five year old bubble gum and showing you how to blow bubbles. You know, there's playing with letters and colors and everything. It was so exploratory, mm -hmm. but I remember being so tired right? Because your brain is yeah. just working constantly. So I'm curious, like, what, can you speak to the difference between, like, the changes that have happened sure. over time? Um, a lot of kindergarten teachers that I've talked to really across the country, they talk about um, the DRA, which is the developmental reading assessment, which will give a level, a reading level of kids. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the classroom and kids were coming in for first grade, we were looking at kids to be at really like they're only level one, that they have those concepts about print. They understand mm -hmm. how books work. They know their letters and sounds and they're ready to take off for reading. Gotcha. And several, you know, lots of people that I've talked to have said that 
they're, they're pushing that down and they're looking for the kids to be at a level four by, by winter of kindergarten and a four at the end of the year. Um, whereas when I was in the classroom, a four was, level four was really like around conference time, you know, late fall time in the classroom, in first grade, first right. grade, not in kindergarten. Um, they're looking for kids to be writing complete sentences, you know, um, and then just making kids, like the expectation for kids to sit still and quiet for circle time. And sitting crisscross applesauce or in a chair for an extended period of time, things that kids are not really, it's not a lot of them are developmentally not ready to do. And mm -hmm. even just limited free play in centers, um, not having right. that time to explore and learn and play. Right. So, I mean, is there, without giant policy changes, right? Because we mm -hmm. just know that that takes time. Are there, are there minor tweaks that, classroom teachers can be putting into effect to make it more developmentally appropriate for their children, for their students? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I talk a lot to the teachers in my district, and again, they're doing all of this, and I just always want them to know that I support this. Um, it's, it's allowing kids a lot of choice and a lot of um, time for movement. I even remember, like, you always have that little kid when you're reading a story during story time who's like, you know, <laughs> sitting on the floor, but kind of popped up on his head or rolling around. And you think that kid's not listening. And then you ask them a question and lo and behold, they can answer you. And it's just, they need that movement in order to focus on what you're saying or doing. Um, and so allowing kids to have a little bit of, of range of motion and, and movement. And I see a lot of the teachers in my district do that. I mean, they'll have, they'll gather kids on the carpet for a mini lesson or a story. But they'll also have some other seating options around and there's like there are there are like wobble chairs that kids sit on or some kids prefer to like um to sit on their little little like squishy seat pads just different oh, yeah. things um one of my first grade teachers part of the kids check-in process in the morning is it's what do you how do you think you feel like learning best today and the kids can go you know i'm going to learn best by laying down on my belly or i mean i feel like i'm going to learn best by sitting on the carpet so giving them a lot of just that physical those physical choices. Um, right. Again, giving them lots of time, you're giving them time for play. It's definitely um, something that's important. And we know from so much research that how, how important play is for kids. And, you know, it cannot be replaced by direct instruction. It stimulates mm -hmm. learning. It's natural for them because it stimulates that inquiry, that creativity, conflict resolution, problem solving, um, giving them time to build and play. Um, it's also a really good time um, to give them activities that are going to help develop their fine motor skills. Right. A lot of my kindergarten teachers recently have been concerned about kids coming in just with more limited um, muscle tone and ability to, you know, hold a pencil or a pen or a crayon. Um, difficulties with cutting and gluing and, cut and coloring. Yes. And in a meeting a couple days ago, one of my teachers said, "Well, we, you know, we don't have time for that anymore." to do arts and crafts. And I said, I will always support projects. Um, <laughs> there was a time when there was like an art project a day in kindergarten. And that's where I was like, mm, that might be a little too much, but opportunities for kids there, there is a purpose behind doing, doing craft projects with kids. It is the small motor skills. It's the, it's the following directions. Mm -hmm. It's that creativity piece for all of them. Um, all super important skills. So um, just giving them time to do things like that. And we know, again, that the research shows the connection between play and the development of language skills, executive function. It helps with mathematics and spatial skills. Um, 
scientific thinking and then even just that SEL and that right. development. So it needs to be a place that supports all of that learning through play as well as choice and choice centers. Right. Right. Um, so I, I wonder, is there a difference? Well, and I mean, I know there's a difference, but additional, like is additional resource, uh, not resource, is additional recess the answer or is it better to have that constructed play in the classroom? That's a good question. I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, kids need to be outside okay. for sure. And even in the winter, I think it's great. Even on those days that it may be too cold for kids to go out for a full recess time, I will definitely see my kindergarten and first grade teachers taking their kids out, even if it's for 10 minutes, just of 10 minutes, run around, come back in. Um, so it's, again, it's just, and in my district, we do have full day kindergarten, which makes a huge difference mm -hmm. because there's a lot of this that does not fit into the day if you have that half day. Right. I mean, we know that in you know, for a half day kindergarten in September, by the time you take their, get all their coats and gloves and things off and, and unpack their stuff, it's, they go to special and then it's time to go home again. Like it takes a long time. So having, having that full day is fortunate um, for us, you know, of course, built in with a lot of time for breaks and movements mm -hmm. and things like that. You really have to break up the day for them. But with, having a half day and having to fit in all the curriculum requirements that I think that's where we're seeing a lot of classrooms pull back on the other, the importance of play and exploring and centers and movement and things like that. Right. <clears throat> um, do you think that, um, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, how to say this. Like, do you think that when teachers go into a kindergarten classroom as an elementary like I had a elementary education degree I went into kindergarten classroom I didn't know the milestones to tell me if a child was developmentally appropriate to do X Y and Z I just followed the curriculum that was handed to me mm -hmm. you know do 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 you think in your district or do you think like nationwide or is it just kind of district specific? Do you think the teachers that are going into kinder and first grade, do you think they know how to determine this or is it that they need, they need that support as well? I definitely think they need some support. I'm thinking back to myself going into first grade as well. I was nervous. I always <laughs> thought that I would be like a fourth or fifth grade teacher. And then, um, you know, my first job, I was hired to be a first grade teacher and I was nervous. I was fortunate that I had amazing mentors, right, on my first grade team who really supported that and supported my growth and understanding of right. the kids, you know, the students in front of me and what they needed. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's funny. So my first job was actually a kindergarten teacher, but I was, I was teen teaching. And so my partner taught reading and I taught math. Um, and then after that, I taught fourth grade for a number of years. And so whenever my readers would struggle, I was like, oh, okay, well, just, just keep reading. You just need to practice. Mm -hmm. When I got down to first grade, I was like, oh no, this is what they needed. Yeah. Like some of those other skills and that sort of thing. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing with like that play and some of those problem solving skills and, and all of that um, 
opportunity to learn how to, when is it appropriate to be wiggly? How is it appropriate mm -hmm. to be wiggly? And if you don't learn those skills in kindergarten, by the time you get to fourth grade, they, they have kind of, they've just cemented those behaviors. Right. Um, so if you could, if you could tell some kindergarten or first grade teachers, okay, here are like three quick and easy things that you can do in your classroom to encourage, um, encourage play, encourage movement, that sort of thing, despite having all of the curriculum that you don't feel like you have time to do it all. Like how can you embed it? What are like, say three easy embedding okay. tips? Definitely through songs and movements. Um, the, our kindergarten teachers use foundations to support phonics instruction and they do games built right into that. The kids are using their bodies to skywrite and form letters. And that's one easy way to get them up and moving around. Um, again, hmm, three ways. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe two. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I know it, it was, it was, it was, Random question. Um, that's okay. But, but the idea, right, is, mm -hmm. is to get them up and get them moving. Mm -hmm. Definitely during morning meeting. That's, you know, that's another time where, um, you know, between, yeah, the whole morning meeting routine from responsive classroom involves a lot of movement in the greetings and, and the game and the activity that you do with the kids first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Can you do a morning meeting like in the morning and then again in the afternoon to just kind of like bring it all oh, back together? Yeah. Um, one of the things I used to do um, to kind of close the day, when I, especially when I, was in when I taught second grade, is I would have my kids write, beginning of the year it was like one sentence, but at the end of the year it was a couple sentences, like two to three quick sentences about what you did today. And then on Friday that went home, so the parents had like a running list of what the child did in school that week. So when they, you know, what did you do today in school? Nothing. They, they had something <laughs> to refer to and questions, to, you know, to ask based on what the kids said. And I said, it didn't even have to be academic. They could write about anything. Like when they did a recess or, you know, a friend that they talked to at lunch, it didn't matter. And then we would do a compliment circle. So it was kind of like the morning meeting, but the end of the day morning meeting where we would get back together. And instead of the greeting, we um, paid a compliment to somebody in the classroom or we thanked somebody for something from the day. That's fantastic. All right. So I, I, I big takeaways, get them up, get them moving, mm -hmm. get them playing. And it can be, it can be imaginative. It can be structured curriculum, mm -hmm. any, and any of those formats. And then, so I'm going to throw in one of my suggestions um, mm -hmm. is <clears throat> just that time, like any sort of, um, any, if you are providing any sort of direct instruction, like the max, the max mm -hmm. it should be is 10 minutes and you have to build yeah. that up, right? The first day of kindergarten, they're not going to sit for 10 minutes. For sure. Yes. Um, yes. So building, building in <clears throat> into your routines and procedures. When I was a first grade teacher, I had a phenomenal mentor and, uh, they told me like, okay, so you do reading for, you know, 10, 15 minutes on the carpet. Now you want them to go get their book. So you get up and you go get the book. So that's building movement in, and mm -hmm. it's just getting the wiggles out. So any of those routines and procedures where you can build in movement is going to be, I think, I saw, I saw great success with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Another thing <clears throat> I was, I'm sorry, to touch it, kindergarten no, no, teachers about is just keeping in mind 
um, kind of like that, that it's hard to tell a lot of times in kindergarten if a child is struggling academically, if it's developmental, or if there's something deeper going on there. Right. And it, it's tough. And, I, and I've talked to parents and I, when I used to, when I was a reading specialist and I would talk at the, to the incoming um, kindergarten parents, try not to, as hard as it is to say, try not to compare your child to the child right next to them. Right. I mean, I remember when my daughter was in kindergarten, she was a June birthday and she will, you know, all through preschool and early elementary, she would always get it by the end of the year, but she would struggle a little bit in the beginning of the year. She was just on that younger side. And, um, I remember going to her classroom for something and kids were like reading these poems that they wrote. And I was like, Oh my gosh, my daughter's not doing that yet. <laughs> and then I, I did, I did it to myself, but I always told parents not to do, but just again, the importance of the developmental appropriateness. And I always talk about um, my story of, of walking and, you know, my one nephew who was now like, well, how old is he now? He's 20, 26. He's 26. Um, <laughs> he didn't walk until he was 14 months old. I remember when he was like 12, you know, he was a year old and my sister-in-law was like, he's not walking yet. <laughs> he had no interest in it. Um, my daughter was walking at nine months, just kind of took off. Wow. You don't look at them today and say, wow, she's a good walker. She must've been worse. <laughs> must walk like, if you had, if we had forced him to walk before he was ready, if we, you know, if my sister-in-law would pick him up, he would just fall down and he wasn't ready and it would lead to a lot of frustration on his part. And that's what I tell parents that, you know, acquisition of, of the whole, of literacy, of learning to read, of learning to write is the same way. We have to, we have to meet them where they are and, and help to move them along, but also be understanding that they're all going to be at different phases of development and you have to be patient and you have to not worry because again, no one's going to look at somebody down the road and be like, wow, you must've been an early reader because you read better than that person. <laughs> so it's just always something really good to just keep in the back of their mind. And I understand for parents, it's nerve wracking. You do worry if you think that your kid's not progressing like everyone else, but you have to go back to looking at, you know, Piaget's developmental levels and looking at Chip Wood's yardsticks and, and where they should be. Right. With that in right. mind. I, uh, I completely agree. And it just, because my son is, he takes his time with everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, you know, in the classroom, knowing that that's how kids are, that's how humans are. Um, but that's another reason why like that diff, that level of differentiation is mm -hmm. so important. Mm -hmm. So, oh my gosh, Maureen, like this is fascinating to me. I love it, especially um, just loving teaching the, the little so much. Like mm -hmm. I, I find it fascinating. Um, but I'm, I'm going to ask you one final question. Mm -hmm. Um, so your son is a wrestler yes. and your daughter performs. So yes. she walks <laughs> very well on a stage. Um, <laughs> so when you are in the audience in both of these venues, I just have to ask, what is your, uh, what is your audience member snack of choice? Snack of choice. Right. Yeah, well, for plays, my mom and my daughter and I all have a thing. We have to have peanut M&Ms. Go Ooh. see it. You go, you go to the theater, you need peanut M&Ms to see a play. I don't know why. It's just our thing. It's good call. Like, I respect that. I approve <laughs> of that choice. Now, wrestling meets, yeah, the wrestling meets, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever the school is serving. So it's typically pizza or hot dogs. And on a good day, we might get Chick-fil-A for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, that's valid. Very valid. At least we, I mean, at least you have Chick-fil-A. It wasn't until we moved to Florida and I was like, what is Ugh. this Chick-fil-A? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So, okay. 
All right. But <laughs> peanut M&Ms, like that's just nationwide. Everybody gets yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Marie, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate you coming on and, and just talking, um, talking so eloquently about really what is best for our littles um, when it comes to those developmental practices. Thank you, Erin. I love being able to just spread that message. It's really been a passion of mine. I, and with good reason. Um, can we, do you, am I able to share your doc in the show notes or do we need to wait until there's a decision if it's been published or? I should probably hear within the month, I would think if it's going to be published. So I will let you know for sure. Okay. And I can always change the show notes up um, mm. once, once we find out. So okay. um, thank you everybody for joining us. We are under caffeinated on Twitter and Instagram, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, to help us spread the message of undercaffeinated, uh, we'd really appreciate your review on Apple Podcasts. And feel free to uh, grab coffee or a caffeine and get yourself overly caffeinated. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>